ain't a junkie, I just draft a lot, ayy, and I draft a lot, ayy, and I draft a lot, ayy. I ain't a junkie, I just draft a lot, ayy, and I draft a lot, ayy, and I draft a lot, ayy, and I ain't a junkie, I just draft a lot. I ain't really got a lot of thoughts, I just pack them in a box. So I popped up on this pod, now I'm outside of the box. When I pop up on the clock, last thing I think is talk. See, I'm winning it now, loving it three and a thou. They peeping my style, keeping it now, steadily growing my Dow Jones. Oh no, these kids be thinking they prowl. Oh no, no, immediately throwing the towel. See, when it's different, it's different. Go position by position. Ain't no issue commission. As a commission, I just listen. They envision my vision and my division. I'm stealing. Cause I'll be willing and dealing. Find me the trade. Cause I'm a fiend. I'm a junkie, ayy. And I'm a junkie, ayy. Ain't no denying my supply. I'm a junkie, ayy. See, I'm a junkie, ayy. And I'm a junkie, ayy. Be getting high off my supply. I'm a junkie, ayy. Hello, everybody, and welcome to episode 55 of the Dynasty Junkies podcast, a proud member of the Dynasty Addicts podcast network. I am your host, Rocky Petrella, at Dynasty FF Addict on Twitter, and with me today is a very special guest. It's, it's a very special episode overall. We got, we got these fancy new graphics for the live stream here, if you're watching, uh, from uh, Maddie at Dynasty Rewind. Uh, at Maddie Big Chest on Twitter, uh, we're we're streaming on a Friday, and uh, oh yeah, we have we have James Rodé Rodriguez. Uh, you you know him from from Psych, from a million little things, and probably most importantly, is is one of the celebrity participants in Scott Fishbowl Eleven. But James, my man, how you doing on this fine Friday afternoon, or I guess morning for you? Uh, I'm doing just fine. It's it's a basic satisfactory, um, which you know is is all I need to get through the day. And thank you for. With the fancy graphics. I know when we first started talking, I said, dude, I won't do this unless you drop some fancy graphics. Um, yeah, I had to get it done. Yeah, you did. And you did. And and I came through. You built it and and I came. So congratulations. <laughs> if you build it, he will come. Um, okay, so uh, this is obviously going to be a little bit of a, a different show today. I, I feel it's kind of a, a little silly to have a guy like James on and only talk fantasy football. We will definitely be talking some fantasy football as the show goes on here. Um, but I did want to talk to James a little bit about himself, about his work and things like that. Um, so the first thing uh, I did want to ask you about is uh, – a lot of people are, you know, especially if you're a casual, you know, maybe you watch Psych back in the day or even maybe if you're a Million Little Things fan, you know, they know you might have known you as James for a day. And within the last year, uh, you did change back to your, to your given name of Rodriguez, James for a day Rodriguez. So I just I've seen you talk about it uh, in print a little bit, but I just wanted to have you just, uh, you know, talk a little bit about that on here and, and, and why you made that decision. Well, first of all, Rocky, there's no such thing as a casual psych fan. <laughs> that is true. I I, I put out a Twitter thread, uh, what, you know, announcing you'd be on the show, and pretty much 99% of the questions were from the uh, the quote-unquote psychos. So. <laughs> they are the psychos, and they wear that badge proudly. Uh, as for the name change, you know, uh, it's been a hell of a, of a year in change for, for everybody. Um, I think everyone's had a different experience. Uh I myself personally was uh, forced into some, uh, you know, solitary confinement where I was able to kind of turn my my brain down for the first time in a long time mm -hmm. and do some self reflection and and think about my life while you know meanwhile the the world was in turmoil um, you know we were facing an international pandemic uh, 
you know, social injustice was sort of swarming all around us. And, and it was kind of a, a perfect storm of like, hey, check in, check in with yourself. And like I said, everybody's experience is different. Everybody's on their own journey. For me personally, I was able to reconnect uh, with my dad in a way that I hadn't done since I was a kid and heard a lot of stuff about my family, the, the Mexican side of my family, uh, their experience coming to this country, uh, experiences that my grandparents had when they were children, experiences my father had, and it and it just sort of hit me. Um, you know, for lack of a better word, it was, it was time. It was time to, to represent, to do a better job uh, of representing. I made that choice uh, to change my name when I was a kid. I was 21 years old and I was still in college and it was kind of a shotgun decision that I never gave a ton of thought to afterwards because, you know, everything worked out. Like, yay for me. Uh, <laughs> I started working pretty quickly. Um, and the next thing I knew, I, I had a career, and I had a career as, as James Roday. So on the one hand, uh, it was a meaningful decision for me to, to go back and, and reclaim my birth name. It was great for my father. It was great for, you know, for that side of my family uh, to sort of to feel seen and to feel represented. On the other hand, uh, you know, it's, it's an incredibly convenient decision to make once you've already, you know, become a success. So, you know... There's, you know, there's a the regret is that I didn't do it sooner, but better, better late than never. And uh, you know, Psych Two, the second Psych movie, is actually the first time uh, Rodriguez appeared on screen as a credit, and it just tickled my dad to death. And that alone, just that moment, was 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 worth. Was worth yeah, it must have been pretty special. And I, I, yeah, I just think I think it's a great story, a great decision for you. Um, like you said, I mean, maybe it makes it a little easier after you've been successful. But it's uh, we've seen plenty of people who, you know, in the Hollywood industry that that you know feel they have to change their name because of it, and never never change it, you know, change it back. So I, I just I love that story. I wanted you to tell it on the podcast here. Um, and I, I assume that uh, is that maybe did that influence the sort of uh, storyline on a million little things this year, where where Gary the Javier, you know, his real name is Xavier and, and yeah, a little bit DJ, DJ Nash, who created uh, a million little things loves to sort of engage our, our personal lives and personal experiences that we've had uh, as much as we will let him. Uh, he does the same thing with the writers on staff because he feels like, you know, if there's an inherent personal connection to, to the material, then, you know, uh, we'll invest more in it. Um, and while that's not the exact story of, of me, right. uh, it was, there were shades of it. And, uh, you know, he, he wanted to sort of uh, to play with that. I thought it was a good idea. Uh, had a good time doing it. Uh, I was able to be involved and sort of help kind of guide the direction of that story. So so it worked. You know, I was I was more invested. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And also, I wanted to I know you're a big animal welfare advocate as well from following you on Twitter and, and other things. Um, you have two separate animal charities in your Twitter bio, RoadDogsAndRescue.org and SaveElephant.org. So I just wanted to give you a chance, especially, you know, one of the main reasons I asked you about this is we're both in Scott Fishbowl. Um, it's, it's kind of charity season in, in the, at least in the fantasy community when uh, with SFB. So I wanted to give you a chance a little bit to talk about that. Yeah, thanks, man. Uh, the two charities are really simple. They're both deeply personal to me. Uh, about, let's see, 10, to maybe 13 years ago, uh, I rescued uh, a French Mastiff 
with my then partner, uh, Maggie Lawson. He is the giant head that you see behind me on the wall. <laughs> uh, he became the mascot for my theater company. His name was Frank, and uh, we rescued him from Road Dogs and Rescues uh, here in Los Angeles. It's a fantastic organization um, run by a woman named Nikki, who since then has also taken it upon herself to, to specialize in, in rescuing special needs smash face pups. Um, when Frank passed away, uh, we started a fund through Road Dogs and Rescues called the Frank Fund, which kind of just goes to everything that she she does, keeping the operation running. If if anything specific, it's it's so that if there is a larger breed that they come across in need, um, you know, hopefully some of that money uh, can help them can help them do that as well. Uh, but that's the Road Dog and Rescue, uh, the Elephant Nature Park. It's in Thailand and. Uh, I spent some time there. I, I went there right before the pandemic, actually. I, I was barely able to get back into the, into the country. Um, and I spent a week uh, at Elephant Nature Park watching this incredible woman named Lek. There's a, a documentary called Love and Bananas. If you want uh, sort of some context and a backstory on what this woman is doing all across Southeast Asia, um, I would check it out. It's aspirational. It's not super depressing, which is why I think it's effective. But anyway, she's basically just going all over Thailand and Southeast Asia, uh, converting logging camps and riding camps into elephant sanctuary and showing the owners that, hey, you can still make money just by letting people come in and, and spend time and uh, watch the elephants in their natural habitat and, and watching them have peace finally. It's just as lucrative and sure enough, one camp at a time, she's flipping it. And this is sort of like her home base. And I went there and volunteered for a week, saw exactly what the, the camp needs to operate. So I know exactly what the money's going towards. And, you know, it's, it's, it's a beautiful thing. I cannot imagine a world without elephants. Uh, Elephant Nature Park is specifically Indian elephants, but African elephants are going through I run through the same thing. Um, there's a great organization called the David Sheldrick Wildlife Fund that takes care of African elephants. But ultimately, um, you know, next to humans, they're probably the most empathetic, you know, species of mammal there is, if not more so than us. And they are endangered. They remain endangered. So uh, they're just uh, they they have a huge spot in my heart. And anytime I can do anything uh, to help the elephants, I do. So. Those are the charities on my social media. Thanks, thanks for giving me a moment to talk about them. And I would just back your play and say what Scott, you know, what Scott's doing is is absolutely extraordinary. And in my limited uh, correspondence with him, um, you know, he's just he's really got a great take on this because mm -hmm. in having like a specific directive and sort of galvanizing the fantasy community uh, to do something bigger than just play a game. Uh, he's also just encouraging us to be, you know, better, you know, right. Like, uh, you know, all of us like be touched by something, be moved by something and, and care fantasy care. So yeah, there's like a pool and there's stuff you can donate to. And, and he does the yearly drive for toys for kids. But beyond that, it's just like, whatever it is that moves you, whatever it is that you're passionate about, it's like kind of a reminder through fantasy football, um, you know, to give something back. I think it's awesome. Uh, I'm so delighted and honored to, to, to be participating and be a part of it. And hats off to Scott for doing such a great work. Yeah, definitely agree. And that's that's why I wanted to give you the chance. Everybody has a, a charity, you know, story uh, involved in the fishbowl. I think my I, I've uh, 
contributed to the autism and autism and Asperger's network. Uh, I, have, I have a son with Asperger's, very high functioning, very great kid. But but uh, so that one's that one's special to me. This one's special to you. I love hearing these stories. And I did. I was asked. I didn't put it as an actual question on the sheet, but I got a couple of questions in the Twitter thread to ask how your dog was doing. Your current dog was doing. I was told his name is Claude, but I'm not sure if that's correct or not. <laughs> yeah, uh, Claude was a pandemic rescue. Uh, easily one of the best decisions I've ever made in my life. Uh, along with my current partner, we. We, we saw him on uh, Instagram, I think, and, and went and visited him uh, through a different rescue organization uh, called Dog Cafe. And it had been um, about 18 months since I had said goodbye to Frank, and I wasn't sure um, if I was ready to go back in. And then, you know, I, I met this dog and it, it became very clear that, of course, of course, I should go back in because what a unique opportunity uh, to be able to rescue a pet during a time when you can assimilate with them and spend 24 seven for like an indeterminate period. Like, of course, that's why, that's why all of the, that's why all the rescues, you know, we're out of dogs because everybody, mm -hmm. realized, you know, during this, during this period that like, Oh, wow. Yeah, of course, this is the best time ever um, to adopt a pet. And he's awesome. Uh, in many ways, he is, he is Frank's uh, polar opposite, which I think uh, made it easier uh, with the transition because he was such his own dude and has such a unique personality unto himself that even though they look like they could be cousins, um, <laughs> that they are both uh, Dog de Bordeaux, which most people know best as as the breed from Hooch, Turner and Hooch. Um, he's just a delight. He's he's a joy. Uh, he is an extrovert. He loves people. He's a big old goofball. And uh, yeah, he is. He has lifted my spirits uh, immeasurably during the last uh, year or so. That's great. And yeah, I know, I know, especially what you're saying about when you lost Frank. I, I'm not, I haven't had a pet actually, or not a dog any, anyway, since I was a kid. But yeah, I, I know, especially hardcore dog, you know, dog people losing that, losing that pet is, is a killer. Um, it's like losing a member of your family. So uh, it's great that you, you did find this, found Claude uh, to help uh, fill that place in your heart, I guess. Um, but I guess now we will move on to, uh, we're going to move on a little bit. Just talk about some of your, uh, you know, your, your work in the, uh, you know, TV work in Hollywood and all that. So um, I got this question kind of a couple different uh, forms of it, but uh, I took this one from Heather Badra on Twitter at Heather Badra uh, writing, directing, or acting. You're, you're great at all three, but I'd like to know which you prefer the most. And are you writing or directing again anytime soon? And in case people don't know, James uh, has done multiple, you know, I, I know television shows. I don't know if you've done anything in film, but uh, directing as well. So as well as Psych. And I, have you ever, have you directed an episode of A Million Little Things? I have not. And I think I will probably leave that uh, <laughs> to others. Uh, but uh, thank you, Heather. Thank you for the kind words. Uh, they, I love all, all of those mediums, you know, and, and when I was studying theater in college, I, uh, you know, I kind of knew back then that that I wanted to sort of do as much of it as I could. I was I was equally passionate about about directing and writing as I was about acting. So uh, it's it's been a wonderful ride. I've had uh, such great opportunities to sort of uh, grow my skill set in, in all of those areas. And because I've been doing so much acting uh, you know, over the last three or four years, I can tell you with complete honesty that uh, I miss being behind the camera. Uh, 
I need to create something soon. Uh, I am spinning a few plates right now. I'm, I'm excited about some stuff and, uh, you know, hopefully one of them will stick. And the next thing I do uh, after a million little things uh, will be behind the camera instead of, instead of in front of it. That's, that's certainly the, the hope. Yeah, I imagine that kind of stretches a whole different creative muscle for you. 100%, and I can sleep later, and I don't have to get <laughs> makeup, and uh, I don't have to do any photo shoots, Rocky. <laughs> <laughs> that is true. The, the directors don't usually get the photo shoots. So um, so we'll get a little bit into Psych, because um, definitely a lot of people had uh, you know questions about Psych. Uh, the one question I wanted to ask you that I, that I had put on here is uh, – you know, Psych has been, it started, I believe, in 2006, and, and we're here 15 years later. Uh, we're going into a, a third movie coming up soon, which I believe you also did had a hand in, in writing that, correct? Yeah. Yeah. We just finished it, actually. Yeah. Uh, I, and so, basically, why why do you think Psych has had, you know, we talked about the psychos, uh, the, the, the self-given name for the fans of Psych. Why do you think it has such the rabid following and staying power it has? I mean, I know... I, I I'm a fan. I love the pop culture references. I love the chemistry between you and and Dulé Hill. Um, but but what do you think is the reason for it? Yeah, it's a great question. We've we've been asked it many times. And and the truth of the matter is, you, it's such a rare experience to do something that sustains itself for this long. Um, it's kind of like the it's kind of like catching lightning in a bottle. You know that that's why it doesn't happen very often. It had to be the right group of people at the right time on the right network with the right studio, um, you know, giving us a platform to kind of find our legs um, in an industry where you almost never get to do that. You know, if you're not hit coming out of, you know, out of the box, you toast. And, you know, we were on a fledgling basic cable network that didn't even really know what it was. They had, they had a show called Monk, which was kind of like, you know, mm -hmm. and beyond that, they, they were still trying to find their ways in networks. So we had, you know, we had a lot of real estate to sort of figure out what site was, what we wanted it to be, what we didn't want it to be, and kind of grow together as a group of artists who all really, really, truly loved one another and got along. I think I just want to say, I think it's a really good point what you're saying there, because I have actually, re you know, knowing this was coming up, I recently got me in the mood to start a psych rewatch and. And I, I've watched the first season, and it's definitely a different show than what it be. I mean, it's, it's still good, but it's it became even more, you know, than what it was. I think in that first season. Yeah, we we gained confidence. We started having fun on 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 some episodes. We're like, wow, this is more fun than other episodes. Why is that? Let's let's investigate that. Let's figure it out. Um, and it ultimately just became like a giant candy store for for Steve Frank's and, and I's love for all things eighties and, you know, ultimately early nineties. And when we realized that there was an appetite for that, we got even more excited and, and it really did just become sort of a celebration of, of pop culture, of best friendship, uh, of blue sky and, and of kind of living your dream. And, and all of those themes are somewhat universal. And I think that's why it managed to, to cast as wide of a net as it did, because even if you don't get all the references, uh, you certainly understand what it's like uh, to run around and, and play dress up with your best friend and have BFF by your side for all of your adventures. Um, and if even if you don't, and even if it's not that part that you know that resonates with you, it's it's the fact that the show's not dark. Uh, you know, it, 
it, it always sort of leans into, you know, the, the best case scenario, the best version of people, what's hopeful. It's okay to laugh. It's always okay to laugh. And, you know, it, it's gotten us through a lot. It's gotten our fans through a lot. It, it's probably exactly what we need right now, which is why we, we went back and made a third movie. So, you know, I, I think there's a lot of, there's a lot of elements to answer your question, but, but the bottom line is that you have to have the right people, first of all, um, which we did. And then you have to be given time to sort of, you know, to, to watch the seeds grow and, and to shepherd it into something that feels right. And then you, you really know what you're doing and you're cooking with gas and, and then you still have, you know, real estate after that. So uh, it, it's definitely the coolest gig that I, I ever had. It changed my life. It changed all of our lives, which is why as long as there's an appetite for it, uh, I think we'll always come back to do more. Also, like, how great is it to still be playing a character that, you know, I created almost 16 years ago? It's, it's pretty wild. Um, yeah, it's definitely, like you said, it's definitely crazy to see it last this long. Three, You don't see a lot of shows that end up with, with three movies and, and maybe counting afterwards uh, after they end. So um, to your point about the, the 80s and 90s, I mean, that, that that's, like I said, a big part of what I loved about it. That's right in my week. We're almost the, the same age. So uh, the, the, I just love that, especially with the casting and stuff you did. And that actually ties into to one of the Twitter questions we had from uh, Donald Berglund at Average Don. Was there an homage episode a la like 100 Clues or the Dual Spires episode, um, which which if people don't know, were, were episodes centered around like Clue and, and Twin Peaks uh, that you wanted to do but couldn't? You know, the only time that, that our studio, who was always very supportive, even though most of the time they didn't really understand what we were doing, they just <laughs> liked it. So that was all they needed to know. Um, the only time they, they really sort of pushed back and asked us not to do something, I think primarily because the, they knew it was going to be really expensive, um, but also because they were like, I think this might be jumping the shark, which is a crazy thing to say about site. <laughs> we were going to do uh, a Sean and Gus go to space episode and <laughs> really have fun with that subgenre because there's so much to mine there. Um, not just from the 80s, you know, with stuff like Space Camp and Explorers, but, you know, we were going to go all the way back to, to Kubrick and the right stuff. And just we were just going to send it all up and have a blast. But I'd be interested to see how you could have done that, like even semi uh, <laughs> believably. We would, of course, spun it so that, you know, Sean and Gus, Sean and Gus believed they were in space, but weren't actually. And we would have, you know, we would have figured out a way to, to to bring it all home, but it would have been expensive and you can't do a space episode without doing some anti-gravity stuff. And, you know, we were a basic cable show, so it wasn't really in the cards, but uh, but it was certainly on the board for many years and we were ready for it because, yeah, those jokes just write themselves. <laughs> and uh, JL in the chat asks, uh, how much are you, in, and I believe is also in your division in SFB, how much are you involved in the writing process or how much is improvised versus strictly following the script? John Luke, one of my, <laughs> uh, one of my league mates. Uh, Psych was, uh, Psych was really a, celebra a celebration of everybody bringing what they brought to the table. So for me, that meant a ton of improvisation, uh, which Dulé, I think at first was terrified by and then realized, <laughs> uh, you know, because he was coming from the West Wing where it was like you had to say every word. Yeah, it's working. But once he realized that that was just sort of me and, and my process, uh, I think he, he he loosened up and ended up, you know, really embracing it. We had so much fun. Um, 
so a lot of fun writing and a lot of a lot of fun uh, improvisation and whatever was funniest always won, which was what was so great about Steve, our creator. Um, he just wanted the episodes to be good and he wanted people to laugh. So if it was a written joke, great. If it was something we come up with in the moment, you know, even better. That's awesome. And you'd mentioned Dulé. Another question from the chat. A big fan of Psych from Vicky Lynn. What was your first impression of Dulé when you, when you guys started? Uh, I thought he was a pretty smooth customer. You know, um, he was coming off of a, you know, of a, of a critically and commercially celebrated show that, you know, that got a ton of love and had won a, you know, a ton of awards and, you know, was kind of frankly coming, coming down um, <laughs> to play with us because he was really interested in doing comedy. And, and I had a lot of respect for that. I also had a lot of respect for the fact that, you know, he wanted to sort of improve and grow as a comedic actor um, because he wanted to challenge himself. And he kind of classed, he classed up the joint, quite frankly, because <laughs> I mean, Charlie from the West Wing coming, coming on set was, was pretty cool for everybody. Yeah. My closest friends were, were like brothers. I gave an inappropriate speech, but necessary uh, speech at his wedding. And uh, yeah, uh, he's, he's <laughs> family to me and I'm very, very lucky for that. And yeah. And I think that comes across on screen and has, has for a while now. Um, so uh, I guess one more question or, or one more top psych topic to bring up is psych three is coming up psych three. This is Gus. Um, <laughs> um, and uh, I had a question from gel at Lorelai Gilmore on Twitter. I want to know how it was seeing your psych family after a year or so. And what can we expect from psych three? So whatever you can tell us. <laughs> These are always beautiful uh, because we all are so close and we remain fixtures in one another's lives, but because of, you know, life happens and then a pandemic happens and, and you, you suddenly don't get to see these faces that you're so accustomed to seeing. So anytime we can all get together in the same place at the same time, it's going to be a blast and we're going to have the best time ever. Um, you know, additionally, uh, our brother, Tim Amundsen, uh, who a few years back before the first psych movie uh, suffered a major stroke, um, has continued to rehabilitate and get better and better. So anytime we all get to be with him and see how much improvement he's made, uh, it's a real blessing. And, you know, once again, uh, you know, he's, he's kicking ass and he's, you know, he's so much further along in this movie than he was in the last movie. He's doing some really beautiful work uh, in Psych 3, uh, which we're all so proud of and we're all so happy, you know, to be there for. Um, you know, the movie, uh, the title kind of gives you, uh, you know, a hint that, it, you know, maybe it's it's going to be a Gus, a Gus centric uh, story. But, you know, when we last left, left our heroes, uh, Gus discovered that uh, he was going to be a father. And so you can, you know, you, if you know the show, you can imagine uh, the rabbit holes that Gus <laughs> went down uh, with pending fatherhood uh, staring him in the face. But. Outside of that, it's it's all the silliness that you would expect and hope for, and uh, there are some surprises uh, and and Easter eggs buried in there as always. Uh, we had a blast, and you know we we hope the fans do too. Yeah, definitely. And and before we go on to uh, to get to the fantasy football stuff, and yes, people who who are regular listeners, there will be fantasy football in this podcast. <laughs> but but I did want to talk about some of this stuff with James, what and I know some guy? of the. What a tough <laughs> I know. <laughs> um, uh, hopefully, you know, maybe I'll timestamp it for the regular listener. This is the part where you can go to the fantasy football. But uh, I definitely wanted to talk about a million things a little bit too. 
and what was it like transitioning to a more more drama centric show? And how how does playing Gary Mendez differ from from playing Sean Spencer? I feel like they they have some similarities, but uh, maybe Gary's a, a little more mature than Sean is. What, what what can you tell me about those two questions? Uh, I think part one, why did I do it? Uh, it was something really different. It was something that I don't get asked to do much ever because I did so much comedy for so long that mm -hmm. um, that's generally what the business wants you to do is right is, pigeonhole you is what they know. Uh, is, you know, you've had some success at. So but this was a rare opportunity to kind of step outside of my comfort zone and, and do something on a rel you know, relatively large platform that, you know, I might not get the opportunity to do again, frankly. So uh, I took it and uh, I'm glad that I did. It's It's been a whole new set of challenges. Um, I think, you know, Gary is often used uh, for comic relief on the show because, you know, God knows we need some. <laughs> but, you know, but ultimately, uh, you know, he I think he's a, a cynic and and Sean was Peter Pan. That's and, true. Uh, that's about as far apart on the spectrum as, as you can get. So, you know, you know, digging into a character who who generally sees uh, a glass half empty um, was a new thing. And uh, and also, you know, uh, playing a, a man with breast cancer, which is um a cancer story through a lens that we don't that we don't get to see nearly as often but is still you know every bit is real and and is happening to a percentage of men you know everywhere um felt interesting to me and and uh and you know again an opportunity to do something that i was probably never going to get to do again so it was one of those sort of come to jesus moments as an artist where you look at yourself in the mirror and you say hey if i pass on this um, I'm probably not, probably not really an actor anymore. And, and <laughs> you know, and that's okay. Maybe I'm ready to make that, to make that transition. I'm ready to Peter Berg it. Like, yeah, but I, I wasn't quite ready to do that. And so, you know, you, you say yes to a role like this, um, because if you don't, then, you know, what are you doing? Yeah. And I, I'm glad you did. And it's, it's, you've done great work on the show and, and, to, to be honest, that not being a fan of Psych, I think that was one of the big things that drew me into it. But I, I love the show overall. The whole cast is great. The storyline's great. So uh, if people aren't checking out A Million Little Things, uh, definitely go go check it out. They uh, do have a season four coming up, uh, which I'll be asking about in a minute. But I have a couple other specific Twitter questions regarding A Million Little Things from uh, Jenna at JVento SLP. How was, how was your experience of living and working in Canada during the pandemic? Um, because I guess that's what you guys had to do, right? You had the, the entire time you were shooting, you had to stay there. You couldn't leave because of COVID and quarantine issues. hundred uh, percent. Agent Avento, she's a, she's an OG psycho. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. It was, uh, it was wild. It was, it was unprecedented. I mean, first of all, uh, we didn't know if we would be able to work during the pandemic. Then, you know, everyone got together and decided that uh, we were going to give it a shot uh, for better or worse. It was a little easier for us initially because the show shot in Canada. Um, Canada was doing uh, way better than we were uh, at that point um, with COVID. So uh, things felt a little safer up there. And once they were able to put together um, the protocols and everyone agreed on how we were going to go about doing it, it was really just a matter of getting used to not being able to see people's faces. That was the weirdest part of it because um, we were all masked up. And the only ones who took their masks off were us actors. Yeah. And we only did that 
um, when the cameras were rolling. So even more so than being sort of uh, uh, isolated um, in a country and not being able to leave because the borders were closed, like I know Vancouver, psych shot there too. So right. it's pretty much second nature to me to be there for long stretches of time. Um, it was really more, uh, you know, getting used to and ultimately normalizing working with just tons of sets of eyes um, is very bizarre. And then invariably over the course of the season, you would like accidentally catch a moment of someone having a sandwich or drinking some water. And it would be like the first, you realize it's the first time you'd ever seen their face. Like you've been working with them for months now and you've heard about their family. You've heard them talk about their kids and you've never seen below the eyes yeah (laughs) create like you create faces for people right because that's what we do and you just you're convinced that like they they must look like this it's never what you think um which becomes kind of like a a weird game um but you know what we got through it uh you know testament to our crew and to the protocols they had in place in vancouver because a lot of shows you know uh struggled had you know were shut down for stretches of time we never we never were um i think you know two days was the longest that that we ever had to stop shooting and it wasn't even because um of an outbreak or positive cases it was because like we weren't getting our results in time uh because they were so backlogged uh at, at the labs that we're using for testing so we were we were definitely one of the lucky lucky ones um and we managed to make a season of television during <laughs> crazy dude and uh, but we did it yeah good 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 job on that and uh, i got uh, two more questions here I'll, I'll just i'll just ask them both and you can you can take them one after the other on a million right. little things uh from emily i don't even know how to say this twitter handle at d-i-l-e-c-t-b-s i'm just gonna spell it what was james favorite moment in season three of a million little things and friend of the show keith ensminger at the Sming Dyn- at the Sming dynasty my wife wants to know if gary and maggie will ever get back together um, well, I'll take the second question first and say, uh, I have no idea. <laughs> um, it's DJ really likes for us to, to not know what's coming. Um, and so it's very rare that any of us will ever know, uh, you know, what's more than an episode or two, you know, ahead of where we are. Um, so I have no idea what's what's up with with Gary and Maggie, um, but I I will say that my favorite moment of season three was probably uh, Danny uh, coming out as a as a young member of the LGBTQ community to his his schoolmates and his classmates. Yeah, that storyline is um, probably my my favorite of the Gary's storylines. I mean, obviously Gary and Maggie is you know central and was a huge part of of the show for the first two seasons but outside of that uh the the role that gary has played in in danny's development and that storyline of of him you know becoming empowered and and living his truth is is probably my favorite storyline that that we have on the show i think our staff and our writers um uh, some of whom uh are in the lgbt community have done a wonderful job kind of nurturing that story and showing us like kind of the best version of what it can be um, if you're surrounded by love and support. Um, it's, I, it's beautiful. I love the story. I love the way that it's sort of, we've navigated the jazz of it and, and to have it sort of culminate in him um, 
you know, at 13, you know, coming out and saying, this is who I am. I loved it. It was a, it was a great moment, I think, for our show. Yeah, I think that that's a great choice. And I, I made me while you were saying that made me think too about how it also kind of informed Gary's storyline even a little little more with the the when his dad was talking to Danny about uh, about that whole situation and, and coming out and things like that. So uh, I, I've really enjoyed that storyline as well. So I think that finishes up everything. I all the Twitter questions I got on the TV work. Um, right. We are going to move to fantasy, but first we have a, a little transition here that. Uh, that James has allowed graciously allowed me to do, which is a little round of uh, a little lightning round of some some fun, silly questions I, I prepared for James. We have six questions here. He has not been made aware of them ahead of time. Um, so hopefully we can have a little fun with this. I'm, I'm curious to hear some of your answers. I will tell you that the uh, the first one has a correct answer. Okay. The rest of them are just open ended questions for you to answer however you like. Fair enough. Okay. She so I just uh, so I, I, there's also going to be a visual component to this. So I just I got to remove this so that I can share my screen. Okay. And here we go. Ah, crap! Hold on. This is we were talking before the show. Technology is neither of our strong suits. <laughs> Bear with me a second here. Okay, sharing the screen. James. Yes. Ah, tomato. Or tomato. I'm gonna be honest. I've heard it both ways. <laughs> that is the correct answer. Very good. <laughs> <laughs> Better TV dad, Corbin Burnson or Paul Rodriguez? Oh my goodness! Uh, so very, very, very different. Uh, I had such a lovely time working with Paul. Uh, it's actually the second time we've worked together. He played a role in the first movie I directed. Um, love him, thought he did a fantastic job as Javi Sr., but I think uh, Papa Bear Corbin might kill me if I didn't say uh, if I didn't say Corbin since we've been doing it for 15 years. So. I was just going to say, I, I figured the easy answer would be to say Corbin because, yeah, it's, it's been a lot longer. So. Hideous um, wigs and all, I got to go with. I know, <laughs> especially, yeah, especially season one, some of those wigs, man. Yeah, I got to go with the Corbster. Okay, next question. Who would be the better fantasy football player, Sean Spencer or Gary Mendez? Uh, Gary's a sports fan. Uh, he also has a more analytical brain. He's a numbers guy. Uh, Sean wouldn't be able to sit still long enough to look at a waiver wire. So uh, this one's pretty <laughs> It's going to be Gary. Okay, that, that's a pretty good choice, <laughs> I think. Favorite fake name for Gus? Do you have one off the top of your head? Um... I know I'm putting you on the spot a little here. I'm trying to, to talk a little to give you time to think about it. <laughs> he says Lavender Gooms or Silly Pants Jackson. Uh, I Who do I like? Uh, I think I think I'll back up Dulé here and, and say, uh, you, know, you know what? I'm going to say Jet, Jet Blackness was one of my favorites. <laughs> That is a good one. Because I also thought it was a great – it could also have doubled as as uh, as Gus's porn name. So I felt like <laughs> on a couple different levels. Yeah, that, that, that makes it a great choice, I think. Okay, here, here's an interesting one. You can only choose one. Titans Super Bowl win. James is a Titans fan, for those who don't know. SFB 11 win or Emmy win for James Rodé Rodriguez. Um, all right, I'm gonna I'm gonna one up you, and I'm actually gonna rank these for you. Because oh, okay. I'm gonna bring a little extra to the table. With all due respect to 
my industry and what I do for a living, um, I certainly don't do it for uh, awards, nor do I really understand uh, why we give awards to art ever. So I'm going to put the Emmy win last. Um, I I tasted I. I had a I had a bite uh, of the of the cake last year with with the Scott Fish Bowl. I believe regular season I finished like top ten. So mm-hmm. I was standing at the precipice of an SFB eleven win, and I'm not going to lie, uh, it did feel pretty good. However, nothing, <laughs> and I mean nothing, uh, would top a Titan Super Bowl win. Um, I have been a long-suffering Houston Oiler, Tennessee Titan fan my whole life, enough so to recognize that if it happens, we'll probably only get one in my lifetime. Uh, so when that happens, uh, it will be it will be the golden goose. Uh, I can't imagine anything topping it. So it's 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 an easy gold medalist with some distance, and then a Scott Fishbowl win, and then an Emmy win. So you I- did it. You already have them in the right order. There you go. And I, I think you made the right choice. I always say, especially if my team is good, that I'm always going for my team over, over my fantasy team. Um, I had a feeling you'd say that about the Emmy win. I know a lot of people feel that way in the industry. You know, why are we awarding things and, and stuff like that? Um, and and as, as a long-suffering Eagles fan who got that Super Bowl win a few years ago, I can tell you it is de- it, it was one of the most amazing nights of my life. So I, I agree with you. That I would love to win Scott Fishbowl, but if, if, if I were you, I'd want that Titans Super Bowl win as well. Right now, it's it's still a dream, <laughs> uh, but they, but they are, they are still very good. So uh, maybe 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 this year, who knows? A window, we have a window. We have a window, uh, and this next one also has a football component. Okay, better hair beard combo: Timothy Amundsen or Ryan Fitzpatrick? Timothy Amundsen, and it's not particularly. <laughs> If, yeah, uh, you need you need to if you're listening on the podcast, you need to check out the YouTube link here because yes, Tim, everyone knows what Ryan Fitzpatrick's uh, beard and hair look like, but that Timothy's looking quite dapper here, and it's it's pretty amazing, I must tell you. Yeah, it's uh, it's about as good as it gets with the locks uh, and the beard. He's got several different beards he can grow. Uh, he truly is a gentleman in the in in the truest sense of the word. And Ryan just kind of looks like you know. He's he's going for it, you know. It's just whatever happens, happens. Uh, and and you know, props to him for managed to he somehow manages to fit it all into the helmet. And uh, <laughs> you know, that's that's something. So good, good for him. Okay, so uh, like I said, oh, sorry. Let me get rid of that. So for the people who did work, tune in for fantasy football, we are now at that portion of the podcast. And uh, the first thing I wanted to ask you is how long have you been playing fantasy football and how, how did you get started playing fantasy football? I think it started in high school where two of my buddies uh, and I would would use values in USA Today and kind of created our own league, like a three man league, um, because USA Today had some version of of fantasy football with like a player and number values. And we like, we gave ourselves a salary cap and then each week we would make moves. It was just three of us. Um, And we would usually do it during, you know, economics or some class where none of us were really paying attention. Um, Cut to 1999, I think, Uh, you know, the internet is born. 
Uh, I'm finishing up college. ESPN has a website. Uh, I see that you can play fantasy football online. I get nine of my buddies together and we start uh, a league that is still in place today on ESPN's platform. Uh, so I would say 99 was the first time I played fantasy football properly. Um, that then became fantasy basketball and fantasy baseball. Wow. With the same group of people, we still have that same friendly league, uh, which is now expanded. We've lost some, we've added some, uh, but there's like a core seven or eight of us that have been that have been in that league since since 1999. Wow, and I mean that's uh, that is pretty similar to me. I started in the late nine. I actually did do the, pa- the paper and pen thing back in the, in the mid 90s, and then picked it back up, kind of like what you said, um, and. Uh, is it just uh, is those just those three leagues you're in? Do you do do you? Well, I know we have, we talked. You have a dynasty league. Are you in? You become a degenerate and have like ten leagues, or are you just just those three different sports in the dynasty league? I certainly went through the phase where I was a degenerate and was <laughs> way more leagues than I could handle. I, I finally managed to kind of find some balance, uh, simply because I don't want to. I can't. I can't be a deadbeat owner. Like I just can't. I, if I'm going to be in a league, I want to be able to give it some attention. I want to be able to compete. I think it's the right thing to do for any league. Um, so, you know, I've got my friendly league, which I'll always have. Uh, I play in the Scott Fishbowl because I just think it's a it's a wonderful thing that Scott's doing. Uh, I did join my first Dynasty League uh, last year. So I am a Dynasty newbie, as I've told you. And then I still do mess with some uh, some high stakes uh, NFFC action because uh, I got I got introduced to them about a decade ago. And I had some immediate, immediate beginner's luck success, <laughs> which made that'll me, hook you. Which made me feel like I was obviously one of the best fantasy players in the world. Um, and then I quickly learned that, uh, you know, that is not the case. Those ladies and dudes are like professional poker players, and uh, and it's almost impossible to compete at that level anymore. But um, I like Greg and Tom, so I will still throw my hat into the ring uh, with one of their best ball leagues. They have a, a league called the Cut Line, um, which requires less time, uh, which is great for me. <laughs> and, uh, I've had some, I've had some continued success there, and then inspired by by Scott Fish, uh, you know, last year in the NFFC primetime event. Uh, WWE superstar The Miz and I co-managed a team, uh, but we were playing for Connor's Cure, which is part of the V Foundation's uh, cancer research organization. Um, and we, you know, we tried to encourage everybody in the high stakes community to do what Scott has been doing uh, with the fishbowl. And we'll see, you know, we'll see if we can break down some of those walls. We're doing it again this year with five teams instead of one team uh, that'll kind of be peppered throughout the primetime event. Um, each each owner of those teams will be playing for Connor's Cure again, and we'll see if we can't generate a little excitement um, and some philanthropy, and uh, owe it all to owe it all to Scott for showing us that we can be more than than just fantasy football geeks. <laughs> That's great, and um, I guess I would I was going to ask as you were talking there. I was made me think: Is it hard to to keep up with stuff given that you work very different hours than a lot of the rest of us? <laughs> Um, it is, but it's also like my the my biggest vice, you know. It, it is the thing that like, you know, kind of 
brings my brain peace. So I need it, frankly. And I've been doing it for so long that it is something that uh, I can naturally kind of carve out time for uh, because it is the anytime I'm I'm doing fantasy stuff, it's it's when I'm able to kind of reset, reset my brain. Um, it's a much, much better habit than um, cooking your own meth, which I can tell <laughs> is not a great idea. I've heard that doesn't go very well. Breaking Bad really romanticized it. I think <laughs> Hey, I want to be like Walter too. It's not. It's not a. It's not a great. It's not as glamorous as it seems. It's not as glamorous at all. So <laughs> landing, landing back at uh, in the fantasy in the fantasy pond was was much better, and I appreciate it even more now. And a couple more uh, kind of general fantasy questions. Uh, Shane in the chat says, "Do you play any IDP?" I'm I'm totally out on IDP individual defensive players, uh, but I'm curious if if you've done any of that. Yeah, at some point over the years, our home league, I was commissioner for all three, football, basketball, baseball, for probably the first 15 years. And then um, because I did get so busy and I was like, ah, gosh, uh, I don't want these leagues to suck. I I did hand off commissioner duties to all three. And when that happened, um, the dude that took over uh, our football league implemented uh, two IDB IDP spots uh, on our team. So we do we do now have two defensive players on our teams. They generally always get selected last by every team in our drafts. Um, we've been trying to come up with a way to make to make them more impactful. It usually just comes down to like everybody has two linebackers who you know get the most tackles um, instead of having to count on someone who can inter, you know interception yeah. or sack sack the quarterback. It's like you want the consistent like you know you're going to get six points because this dude you know just makes a lot of tackles so um it's usually that and then um yeah i think i think last year we tried upping interceptions to like four points uh, a pick and sacks to like two and a half so that we could kind of try to balance the level but look it it's a fun thing it's i only have it in one league um i think anytime you're trying to sort of sustain a league over many many years you're gonna have to get loose and try some stuff and kind of keep Fresh, kind of like a marriage, I would imagine. No, I'm not married. I would think that you know, you got to <laughs> do stuff to keep it fresh, right? So yep. that's what IDP was for us. We also that's we added a super flex. It's this, you know, it's the same story that that you hear um, from everybody who's been doing fantasy for a while. Some stuff works, some stuff, eh. But you got to give it a shot. Yeah, makes sense. And uh, the other question I had was also from. Uh, he also had a question from his wife earlier. Keith Ensminger, the Sming Dynasty, wants to know: Do you have a cast or staff and or staff league uh, currently, or did you on Psych? And if so, who has won it? I definitely would have won it. Um, unfortunately, <laughs> my castmates are nearly invested in football as much. <laughs> as I am. Uh, Dule is a fair weather 49ers and fair weather Jets fan. <laughs> Um, he'll get excited if they're doing well. If they're not, he wouldn't be able to tell you who's playing quarterback. Uh, so Dulé is a front runner. So you're saying. Right. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Um, and now let's look at into fishbowl a little bit, Scott fishbowl. Um, yes. I, I know I've been in the last three. I know you've been in those three. Uh, were you in there prior to that or? I think, I think I was in the last three as well. Yeah. Okay. And how, how, I wanted to ask, how, how did you find out about Scott fishbowl and how did you end up in Scott fishbowl? If memory serves, uh, I want to say Scott reached out to me himself, like I think over social media um, and kind of said, hey, this is what it is. This is what I'm doing. Would love for you to participate. 
And as soon as I saw that it was for a great cause, I was like, oh, hell yeah. Uh, <laughs> you know, you don't have to ask me twice. And I had kind of no idea what to expect because the league is kind of, as you know, it's kind of quirky. Um, the setup is different. Yeah. Uh, points are different. I'd never done like a tight end premium league before. Um, it's, it's so much fun, but at the same time, like it's the first draft you do like every year yep. right? and it prepares you for nothing really because, <laughs> because there is no other league like it. So, and he switches up the scoring sometimes year over year. <laughs> yeah. so it's, it's like, it's not even really like practice for, for your other leagues. It is its own animal on its own Island. Um, a ton of fun. And then you kind of just forget everything you just did and, and, and try to like reprogram your brain for, for every other draft that you're going to do. Okay. And uh, I just uh, saw a couple of things in the chat. I just wanted to point out here. I like John, John Luke says that we're going back to your marriage comment, exactly the same as a marriage. My <laughs> dynasty league has experimented with role playing. <laughs> it's smart. You know, you gotta, you gotta keep it loose. Yeah. Um, and uh, <laughs> And Andrew in the chat says, because you mentioned playing on ESPN, do you like ESPN or MFL, my fantasy league, which is where the fishbowl is more? You know, MFL is the only, uh, fishbowl is the only league I have on, on MFL. Um, that's the only reason I know the, the, the platform. Uh, I just, I know ESPN so well because I've been playing it so long. Uh, I actually think ESPN's got a pretty good platform. Um, it's pretty user-friendly. And for someone like me, who like the less clicking, the less tabs, the less you have to do to make a pick, the better um, <laughs> with someone like me. Uh, I need I basically need to be slapped in the face with <laughs> something that says draft player. Uh, <laughs> and ESPN is pretty good about that. So uh, yeah, I'll, that, I'll give them their props. That definitely does make sense, especially if you're just redraft. There's a lot of people who like MFL like it because it's so customizable and all, you can do all these yeah. sort of different things for Dynasty, which is uh, and and for redraft, which is why Scott's using it. To, you know, when you're having a 1900 person tournament with strange scoring settings, uh, it's it's definitely the way to go. Um, and uh, speaking of Scott, he didn't say he just chimed in. Uh, hey James, thank you for all the kind words and pushing this mentality elsewhere. This is year five for you. And I think it's more than you thought. And Liz Loza introduced us probably over social, but I can't remember. Time flies. Props. Yes. <laughs> uh, Liz Loza, uh, my dear friend, fantasy football girl from Yahoo Sports. Uh, that makes sense. Five. Well, I'm a I'm a KG fishbowl veteran, man. Yeah, I guess you are. And, and all that experience paid off last year. As you mentioned, uh, I did look it up. James, James went 12-0 and last year. was one of the highest scores, I think, in all of fishbowl. I guess just got unlucky in the playoffs. Uh, totally, I wasn't totally yeah. flipping out. It was yeah. just crash and burn. But, you know, it was just one of those years. Uh, anyone who's been playing fantasy for any amount of time who has, like, those special years, um, especially in a tournament as big as this one, when you look back at your team, like, it's never a mystery as to why it happened, you know? Like, you either hit on some major dart throws – um, or you got somebody at a position of value that was just insane. And that's why you won. It's never like, oh, look, I went chalk all the way down and I beat everybody. Like, it's never that. And last year uh, in the fishbowl was no exception. Um, I was the one, I was first pick overall. Um, everybody was, I think, still very much in a get your running backs early kind of frame of mind. I rolled the dice with Mahomes. And then, Josh Allen was sitting there for me. I want to say in like the fifth round as my QB two, wow. uh, and then I took I threw a dart at Justin Herbert very very late. And I saw in, that. 
not even having to use him, but kept him from being on any other team in my league. Um, Justin Jefferson, a late round dart, ended up playing like a wide receiver one. Uh, took my boy Derrick Henry uh, in the second round. Homer pick, you know, paid huge dividends. So it, it's always like, and that's why everybody knows, like you have to hit um, on some on some wild cards and you have to take risks and you have to reach, you know, for the guys that you think could explode because that's, that's how you beat 1900 people. <laughs> yeah. And, and I think I saw also you had uh, Antonio Gibson on that roster last year. So if uh, we're going to look at James's team very shortly, so and any rookies he's in on, you may, you may want to uh, hope you, you drafted them as well, or look at them uh, going forward because they, he hit on pretty much all the uh, lower valued rookies last year. So that's um, right. And I, I should tell you, like, I think I, I let you know before we got started, but my my league mates in the David Bowie division uh, have rallied so that I could officially end the David Bowie draft on your podcast. Yes. Because I do have the 12th pick, which means uh, selecting Mr. Irrelevant is my responsibility. And yes, I, I can't. It'll, I'm sure it'll be. Yeah, it'll be very exciting to see who the 2212 is in in the draft. <laughs> I'm on the clock, so thank you to my uh, thank you to my league for uh, for rallying. Okay, so um, before before I, I'm gonna I am gonna pull that up on screen too. But I know you're. Uh, I just wanted to ask you: the David Bowie division is where you are, and you are 112. Were those both uh, choices of yours, or did they just end up that way? Hundred um, percent. I was a little late to the party, uh, knowing that this year the uh, divisions were going to be based on bands. Uh, last year, I was actually able to suggest uh, Muscle Figures, which was the league that I was in. <laughs> um, this year, I was like, "Oh wow, bands!" And then when I looked at, uh, you know, what all the choices were, uh, it was very. It was, it was either going to be Bowie or The Cure, and for me, and uh, sort of as a tribute, since we recently lost the unrivaled you know jesus of pop music <laughs> um yeah i wanted to represent uh in the bowie division and then because i was first last year i thought it would be fun to be at the other turn uh this year kind of sort of randomly went with 12th uh yeah, so that wasn't even i was going to ask if that was influenced by the whole third round reversal thing that didn't even factor yeah, maybe, in maybe like maybe sort of subconsciously like knowing <laughs> you know it comes back to you in the third round help helped sort of push push that decision but um i also figured if i was at a turn um you know it would be ha half as many times as i would need to be aware that i was on the clock <laughs> <laughs> i thought that would be helpful to my to my league uh and and to everyone uh you know who gets excited about these drafts and wants to keep them moving if uh if i was on one of the ends okay it makes sense and now i will uh like we did earlier i'll bring up on the screen your team and we can talk about a little bit about your team um and did you have any did you have any specific strategy going in before we get into any specific players yeah i i would say that i was either going to go running back quarterback uh or two quarterbacks if i liked who was there um th those were sort of my two approaches going in knowing as always that you might have to throw out everything you think you know because true <laughs> Uh, it's, it's just one curveball after another. But as it played out, uh, there were not two quarterbacks sitting there that I felt super stoked about taking. Um, uh, 
back-to-back uh, -back on the turn, which made uh, it pretty easy. Who's the best running back on the board? Uh, it was Saquon. I was pretty delighted that he fell. I had a feeling that he might just because he's coming off the injury. We haven't seen him in a minute. Uh, but I do think that if he, you know, if he performs anywhere close to, to what we know he can do with all the additional help they now have on that offense, a lot of people who got Saquon late in the first or even in the second round are, are going to be pretty happy. Um, yeah, I, I ended up, I was at the 111 and I ended up with actually Saquon and Eckler, who you also have here. Uh, yeah, so yeah, yeah. I was stoked about that too. And then Herbert was the best quarterback on the board at that point. They really flew off the shelves uh, in, in our draft. By the way, I got to say, uh, I'm playing with some real, uh, real solid, solid fantasy players in, in the David Bowie division. Uh, everybody knows their stuff. Uh, there were no like real head scratchers. All of the, uh, all of the reaches seemed like calculated reaches from people who knew exactly who they wanted. Um, and it was like, it was good. Like I was just pick after pick after pick. I was like, this is going to be tough. Uh, there's no gimmies. There's no gimmies in this room. So <laughs> kudos to kudos to my league for, for drafting really well. And, and towards the end, when, when people started drafting guys that I'd never heard of, that's when I also knew like, oh, wow, these, these people have done their homework. Uh, right. Might, might actually be in trouble. Uh, <laughs> Uh, but yeah, the, that was the, that was the approach coming out of the, out of the gate. And then, um, you know, third round reversal again, it was, for me, it was either like, uh, you know, take that second quarterback because you know, they're flying, uh, off the shelves, or if there's a running back there that you just can't say no to, uh, do that. I was going to fade wide receivers no matter what, which I think was, you know, probably a ton of people's strategy. Right. Uh, fishbowl so that wasn't really a consideration and when Eckler was still there and I had Justin Herbert um in my head I'm just like everything goes right this guy could catch you know 75 80 balls this year um and those are just really easy points that boost Justin's uh completion percentage uh I like the idea of a of a stack and uh it just felt real nice so yeah. that was that I'm is. sorry. I was just gonna say it's nice to get that stack when, you, especially when you don't have to force it. And you got, I think you got pretty nice luck there with Herbert coming to you at 201. Uh, I, I know he was drafted before my pick in a lot of different drafts before the 111. Um, I, I tend to be to wait a little more on quarterback, and I see you did wait on your second quarterback. Um, and so was that a conscious decision, or is just you kept liking the other positions? You know, if uh, for people who can't see it, he drafted Darnold at the nine hundred one in his QB two. Uh, do you like Darnold? Or you just had to pick somebody at some point. You know, <laughs> it became a conscious decision once I let you know fifth, sixth, seventh round go. Uh, I just, I just didn't love any of the QBs were there, and and I certainly didn't love them that much more than Sam Darnold. Um, you know, to, to use one of those picks on a quarterback. So uh, what it, it basically just became like, okay, I know that my QB two could be questionable. Um, I'm going to, I'm going to pump up at some of the other positions as much as I can. And then I'm going to throw a few darts uh, and hope that one of them works out. Uh, but no, I wasn't jumping up and down uh, when, <laughs> when I got Sam Darnold as my QB two, I told Liz and she was like, I was like, I don't think this is great. She was like, no, no, sir. It's not. So um, I, I definitely, I feel like, uh, you know, there's certainly reasons, plenty of reasons to doubt, uh, doubt young Sam, but he is in a new situation uh, with a new system. I think it was really important that he get out of New York. Uh, 
you know, it was never going to happen for him there uh, for a myriad reasons. Uh, but if he can come in and and embrace the fresh start, uh, he's got arguably the best player in football uh, lined up behind him and a couple of nice weapons uh, to throw to. So, you know, if there is a candidate for, for a bounce back season out there, it's got to be Sam Donald because he's coming from like garbage to whatever he does. Um, so, you know, I have, I have some hopes uh, a couple rounds later. Uh, I took a swing at Taysom Hill because if he does win that job, and I know that the odds are probably with Jameis, but if he were uh, to make any sort of uh, real number of starts, uh, we know what he can do with his legs. And, you know, that's a that's a commodity and you want it, that you want it in the fishbowl. So uh, that's got some upside. And then Tyrod, you know, I think he's probably going to start the whole year, frankly, uh, in Houston, and, you know, in, unless they throw – you know, mills a couple starts at the very end of the season just to see what they have. Uh, if they want, if they have any sort of designs on trying to compete and not be uh, the laughing stock of football this year, uh, and Tyrod can stay healthy, uh, I think he's probably going to do the majority of quarterbacking for that team. So it, it felt like a nice, felt like a nice piece to sort of have on the bench. I think you're probably right. Even if Watson gets on the field this season, I, I doubt it's for Houston. Uh, so it, it'll probably beat Tyrod most of the way. And I, I, I kind of agree with you on Darnold. I mean, uh, he shouldn't. You shouldn't have to draft him much earlier than you did. But I definitely think there is some upside there with the you know Joe Brady's the offensive coordinator. He did. Uh, they didn't. Teddy didn't throw a lot of touchdowns, but he did make Teddy look semi-competent last year. So, And Darnold has more talent than Teddy Bridgewater. So I, I, especially if you're going to wait till the ninth round, uh, which I, even I didn't do. <laughs> I think I drafted, I think I drafted Ben in the seventh or eighth, uh, big Ben. So, uh, but, but yeah, I like Darnold. Darnold's probably more of an upside play than even Ben is, which is good in a 1900 person tournament as well. Uh, and uh, someone had commented in the chat, I believe it was Andrew uh, about the, Going with the Homer pick as your wide receiver one and Julio. What do you? What do you it was a. Does your fan fandom influence that pick, or you, what do you see for Julio as a Titans fan? Uh, yes, it was a Homer pick. It was the only unmitigated, like can't deny it, Homer pick I made <laughs> in this draft. But the truth is, look, I waited till the fifth round. Um, you know those those stud wide receiver ones were all gone, so I'm I'm basically looking at. Uh, you know, a wide receiver two that I hope has wide receiver one upside um, or, you know, the guy that all of us Titans fans got super juiced uh, <laughs> is playing for the Titans now. Um, I don't anticipate him having vintage Julio Jones type season, especially with AJ on the other side. Um, but I, I'm hoping that he can stay on the field, be really, really steady. And if he does sort of like, you know, one level down Julio stuff, and OBJ does old school OBJ stuff, then uh, it'll actually be OBJ as my as my wide receiver one, and Julio as my wide receiver two. Again, uh, it's asking for a lot, uh, and that's, <laughs> that's what makes fantasy football so much fun. Especially Scuff Fishbowl, you kind of have to, you know take from here to, to get get stuff in other places and and with the uh, 11, i think 11 starting spots um it's it's almost impossible to get to have every spot be really good so um and just uh, i did want to mention too for people who are just listening uh, uh if you wanted the rookie whisperer james Rodriguez, rodriguez uh, the rookies he picked were Devonte smith in the eighth uh 
Amon Ross St. Brown, Ramondre Stevenson late, and Josh Palmer late, it looks like. So so if he has as good an injury, I'm sorry, injury, as rookie luck as last year, um, you might want to get those guys on your teams. Um, yeah. I'm sorry, are going to say anything? I think Devonta is going to become um, – you know, the alpha, uh, on that, on that receiving core pretty quickly. Uh, I agree. So I'm feeling pretty good. I'm feeling pretty good about that. Uh, of course it, it requires, you know, Jalen hurts to throw with some degree of accuracy, uh, which would be great. But we also know that, you know, Devonta can, can catch the ball and turn it into a big play. Um, you know, from the backfield, I'm sure they'll set up stuff to kind of try and get him in space and get him comfortable. So, um, I think Devonta is a pretty, a pretty safe, uh, you know, high floor rookie to go with that you can get, you know, before, I mean, after, uh, you know, Jamar Chase and, and potentially get just as much production, uh, if not more, because, you know, Jamar is going to have to share with a couple other pretty good, pretty good wide receivers in Cincinnati. That's the point I was going to make. Yeah. I, I could see him in year one anyway, out producing Chase because of the, uh, the, the mouse defeat in Cincinnati. Um, and I guess, uh, like we said, you have the you're on the clock for the 2212. Yeah. So, and by the way, Scott mentioned the top 15 Scott Fish, the top 15 teams last year averaged just over four rookies, which uh, I think you're at four now. So maybe you want to pick a rookie here, since the, that that seems to be the recipe to be a, a top 15 team. But uh, I don't know if you want to give some options here, and uh, maybe we can crowdsource it. When there's still a decent amount of people in the chat, it looks like I think that's a great idea. I think I'll present an A and a B and and. Uh... And let the and let the most number of votes win because I am thinking about two players and one is a rookie. So you framed this perfectly. <laughs> but before before I officially end this draft, I want to give a shout out to the rest of my league mates uh, for being a great a great group of people. We had a lot of fun. Our draft uh, kind of moved at a sort of uh, it wasn't super fast, and and for me that I think that kind of made it more fun uh, because you know once these drafts are over, they're over, and then it's kind of like well, we have like a, some dead spot, like a dead period before we're drafting again. So uh, I don't mind the slow draft, uh, really. And it was fun to get to know them a little bit. And they were all pretty active in the chat. Uh, everyone was really cool. So I'm going to shout them out quickly by name because uh, this is my league, man. These are my <laughs> um, in order in, in order that we drafted. Uh, it was Jarek Backus, uh, Tim Ellsworth, Mike Sheen, John Luke Garofalo, Kelly Hall, Eric Moody, Maria Vicenzi, who I think might be sweet on John Luke, Aaron Spires, Justin Mason, Brian McLeish, Alex Newman, and then me. That's David Bowie. We're coming at you hard. We're That's great. One of us, one of us will be a factor by the end of by the end of this tournament. And I now, guess- <laughs> without further ado, um, with the final pick. In the 2021 Scott Fishbowl 11 David Bowie division, Mr. Irrelevant will either be San Diego Charger rookie running back Larry Roundtree or Los Angeles Rams veteran footman Matt Gay. Uh, interesting. I, I was. I, I did mean to note as well that you did. You did not put a. You, you know they had kickers this year. I noticed there was no kicker on your team. I actually drafted a couple. I haven't uh, done it yet. And uh, yeah, whoever's still sticking around at this point after all this yapping that we've done, 
I know. I, uh, we need some comments in the chat. I don't see anybody saying anything. Uh, Round, yeah, Roundtree is a little interesting. I've heard, I've heard rumors that uh, Justin Jackson could be cut, and uh, Eckler, Eckler, you know, he's going to do his thing. But there's definitely going to be a lot of uh, running uh, attempts there, rushing attempts for somebody else. Uh, so we have two, two. Now we got some two in the chat. Uh, say kicker. There's a Roundtree. Three, three say kicker. They're not even giving him his name though. It's just kicker. <laughs> so right now it's uh, it's three to one kick. All three of them say kicker versus one for Roundtree. Uh, another one kicker. So it, it's looking like it's uh, Matt Gay's the runaway winner here of the, of the the five people responded. It's four to one so far. Unless we get some more votes soon, I think you're going Matt Gay. Matt Gay. And you know I'm not bummed. I'm not bummed about that. They've they've added this new wrinkle this year. Um, you don't want to be the you know you don't want to be the guy who's stuck without a chair when the music stops. I think everybody else in uh, like everybody and, else in the league has it, a kicker. So and you're in good company, apparently. Scott says Matt uh, Matt Gay Barry took him twenty two twelve as well. Well, if he's so. good enough for Matt Barry, he's good enough for me. <laughs> uh, let me get in here um, on my phone and uh, and make this official live on your podcast. I appreciate that, James. It's a momentous uh, occasion here, picking the twenty-two. It's, <laughs> it's been a great run. The Bowies, the Bowies had a great draft, and uh, with the last pick, I have officially selected Los Angeles Rams kicker Matt Gay. <clears throat> there we go. Done right here on the podcast. And uh, I know we were trying to keep this to an hour. We've already gone over. Uh, do, do you have time to stick around a little longer to talk well, about some wanna, of these? I know you want to grill me on uh, some some poorly constructed dynasty <laughs> that I made in my first ever dynasty league. So why don't why don't you beat me up for a few more minutes on that? Okay. Um, so James is gracious enough to share his uh, league with me. It's a, I will say there are definitely a lot of heavy hitters in this league. I saw uh, Rich Rebar is in there, I think. Is, uh, it looked like uh, maybe Matt Harmon was in there. Uh, there's somebody named Harmon. JJ Zacharyson. Also, fellow Scott Fishbowl participant, Tom Everett Scott. Not quite the hard hitter fantasy analyst-wise, but he knows his stuff too. And yeah, uh, a combo of, uh, of of experts and some entertainer types that uh, one expert and one entertainment type came together and created. So, okay, so he made some trades. Um, all these were these were. I don't think you've made any since like around the draft time, right? I only saw the three around draft time. Um, and this one was made on uh, April seventh, pre-draft. And th this was the one I, I told James was a little rough. Uh, <laughs> it's a 12 team super flex PPR league. Uh, I don't believe there's any tight end premiums on it, but that, that doesn't factor into this trade anyway. And he, he traded away Dak lamb, CD lamb, Brandon cooks, and some, uh, Boston Scott in the four Oh four for the one Oh two Tyler Boyd and Rashad Penny. So, uh, when you said you, you were willing to do this, um, you said that, uh, you can, you know, do these trades and call me out for being a lunatic. So lunatic is strong, but, but what were you thinking here? Uh, Are you just I, had the rookie fever or? Well, what I was thinking was my, my first dynasty season ever was lost because my quarterbacks were Joe Burrow and Dak Prescott. And I did not want to build a team um, banking on two guys coming back from gruesome leg injuries. So 
I, I made the sort of blanket choice that I was going to trade one of them. And after doing a little bit of tire kicking, it became clear that Dak uh, was going to return way more value, um, understandably, with his with his track record. But honestly, if I was to say I was more concerned about one over the other coming back from their you know respective injuries, I would say I'm, I'm less concerned about Burrow because we've seen you know plenty of guys come back from you know, from, from that. And, and Dak is, you know, something different. So I was, I was cool, uh, to trade Dak. That wasn't a tough, that wasn't a tough decision. Um, and then and I don't hate the decision for you to trade Dak. I just feel like you yeah. could have gotten a little more back than you got. <laughs> well, I, I dealt with my friend Garrett Lerner who brought me into the league, um, is a, a, a wonderful television writer and show creator who, by the way, I'll give him a plug, has a new show coming this season uh, to NBC called Joe Ordinary Joe. Ordinary Joe um, okay. is Garrett's. Um, but, yeah, he invited me into this league and I think then took, uh, took a reasonable degree of pleasure in uh, walking me, you know, behind the woodshed and, uh, and sticking it <laughs> me because – He's been playing Dynasty for longer than I have. So uh, it makes sense in retrospect that uh, he would have gotten better into that deal. Um, but what I knew about Dynasty was go young, young, young. You want young guys. You want young guys. You want to build for the future. Um, I didn't I didn't look at my roster and think, ah, oh, this is a team that's, that has a chance of winning the league this year. So I, was, I wasn't super concerned about that. Um, but, you know, Garrett was sitting on pick, pick 102 and 104 overall which felt kind of sexy. Um, and I, that was ultimately what, what hooked me is like, Oh, wow. I get to make, you know, two of the first four picks in in my first ever rookie draft that I was a sucker for that. And, uh, and so, and I, and I kind of knew that, you know, the first pick would be Trevor, like obviously, and that I could kind of get a, I could get a running back and a wide receiver that maybe I could have on my team for the, you know, for the next five, six, seven years. So I traded Dak. I picked uh, Najee at two and Jamar at four. And yes, which I do really like those picks. And then I also brought in Tyler Boyd uh, to further uh, strengthen my Cincinnati Bengals dynasty stack. <laughs> Uh, fully recognizing that on paper, yeah, it probably looks better for Garrett, who gets Dak Prescott, C.D. Lamb, who you know might be the the next superstar wide receiver in the, in the <laughs> National Football League. Um, and uh, and then to make up for the fact that I didn't take uh, any of the quarterbacks, uh, I dealt my my first rounder, which was the ninth pick overall, and next year's second rounder, I believe. Yeah. Uh, Jalen Hurts, which, you know, at that slot in the draft, uh, I felt like was a decent dice to roll. Um, I'm not really stressing out over a second round pick in a draft that hasn't happened yet. So, uh, and uh, yeah, and you might not know, but a lot of the people who look ahead to drafts and things like that, Debbie guys, they, they, they are saying that next year's draft is not very deep. So seconds might be something you want to trade away in, in that draft. So, so there, I did something decent. <laughs> Jalen hits. Um, sweet. I've got two young quarterbacks with, uh, you know, hopefully a bright future. Yeah, and that one I really like. Uh, I like. I think Jalen's going to score a lot this year. It's just a matter of whether he can hold on to the job beyond this year. Um, so it's going to a lot of it's going to probably depend on how good their record is. Uh, as an Eagles fan, I'm I'm hoping it's good. I'm a little skeptical. Just um, generally pessimistic overall. Um, 
But I think I think regardless of how they do, he's going to probably put up a ton of points this year, and he's just got to figure out a way to to get some wins to hold on to his job. I think, which is was what because they do have three first round picks next year, so they they could look for a quarterback if he if he doesn't win enough for their liking. I think. Well, I'll be pulling for him, which means I'll be pulling for the Eagles, Rock. <laughs> Good, and, and yeah, and I, that that I like. I said I like the value you got there. One oh nine, one you know, one later first and and a second. I think is is really good value for for a young starting quarterback. And then the other trade was just a, a kind of a baby, you know, whatever trade. Which I think you traded a a third next year um, for Anthony McFarland and a, and a fourth next year. Um, so basically, you got him for almost free. And uh, I get you, you mentioned you drafted Najee Harris. Do you, you like doing the handcuff thing? Is that why you made that trade? Or Yeah, I guess I figured even though like uh, if I were to somehow get lucky and and the planets aligned and I'm and I'm somehow competing um, this season and then, you know, Najee were to go down for a game or two or three. Uh, I felt like it, you know, it probably made sense. Uh, you know, I have Benny Snell, too. So I think between the two of them, I I will have whoever. Whoever's starting, yeah, starting in that Pittsburgh backfield, which we know um, is a great is a great gig because it's was but they'll be behind one of the worst offensive lines. <laughs> True. Uh, so uh, awesome! I'm all set. I'm all set with uh, with whoever's toting the rock back there. Yeah. So uh, not too. It looks like and these were all made like in sequential order. Like I said, the first one was made prior to the draft, and when you got Boyd, actually Chase wasn't even there, so it looked that uh, that was looked a little better in terms of getting Boyd back. And then I believe it looks like you may have made the Hurts trade during the draft or right around draft time, and then the, the McFarlane one right after. So uh, you look, you're going the right right direction in terms of uh, the, the learning curve. You know, if, yeah. if, if you if you if you. Feel free to hit me up next time if, if Garrett comes at you for a trade, and I'll, I'll help you out. Okay, <laughs> I will. I will indeed, Rocky. But I'm also just I'm a sucker for trades, man. I love it. That's why. Oh, I, so do I. I'm, I'm I'm in a league, and I host another podcast that's called Trade Addicts Podcast. So, um, yeah, so and I've never had like picks to deal with before. It was it was a brand new fun experience for me. I was like a kid. I was like a little boy. Little boy. <laughs> Get in the candy shop. Okay, and that, that that's pretty much going to finish it up here. We, we we ran long. I appreciate you staying on this long. We're at, uh, I think about one twenty now. Uh, I, I was trying to keep it to an hour for you, but I appreciate you staying on. I appreciate you coming on. Uh, you know, I just uh, some guy that kind of randomly reached out to you a little while back. We've been going back and forth. We finally got this date, and it, it's been a great conversation. I loved I loved talking to you about psych, about a million little things, and. And uh, and giving you a little dig about your dynasty team. So uh, <laughs> anything uh, with my schedule, Rocky, I appreciate it. And, oh, uh, no problem. Um, and just anything you want to say or plug or anything before we sign off here? Yeah, I'll just I'll once again sort of echo what you said uh, about about Scott Fish and and the idea that that we as a community of people who are so passionate about playing fantasy football. Uh, can can come together every year, um, take it upon ourselves uh, to do some good as well. Uh, so thank you again uh, to Scott for sort of perpetuating that idea. And for anybody who's watching or, you know, who's planning on doing any high stakes fantasy this year with the NFFC or any any of those high stakes places, um, I hope you're listening too. Uh, we play a game and and it's it's you know, it's for money or it's, or it's not for money or for whatever it is, but what's really behind it is a, is a love. It's a love for football that we all share. So if we can use just a little bit of that love, um, 
you know, to, to, to put towards some really worthy causes, like what a great thing uh, for, you know, for a community that I think sometimes is stigmatized just as a bunch of like sports geeks, like, Hey, uh, we're actually thoughtful and, um, you know, we, we can, we can do some real good, uh, together as, as fantasy football lovers. Yeah, that's a great sentiment. I'm glad you, I'm glad you finished up with that and, and what you did again with the, with the Miz last year. And, uh, I think you said you might do that again is, is, it was great as well. So, um, definitely good stuff. I'll just finish up here then, um, with some of our business, and uh, just remind everybody, you can follow the pod at Dynasty Junkies. I'm at Dynasty FF Addict. My co-host who could not make it today is at Andrew Hall FF. Um, please make sure you're also following the DAP Network, Dynasty Addicts Podcast Network, at DAP underscore network. Also, you can subscribe on YouTube so you can see when, when great guests like James come on here. Um, you can see him uh, talking to, to me and hopefully Andrew in the future. And uh, also, when if you get a chance, if you could, if you like what you've heard, just to subscribe to the podcast, uh, give us a rating and review, preferably a five star uh, rating, and uh, and that helps us out a lot. Helps people find us. Let let us know what you think. So that's gonna do it for this week. Again, I can't say how much I appreciate James you coming on, and uh, that that'll be it. Junkies well, out. Anything less than a five star rating is my fault, not yours, Rod. <laughs> okay, junkies out. Yeah, man. Later.